Hi, this is Dale with Persevere to Excel, and I'm super pumped for my interview today. I have Alyssa here with me, and um, this is going to be awesome. We're going to talk about so many different things, um, following your passion, your creativity, um, surviving as a, as a business during COVID-19, and, um, and everything else that comes up. So I'm super pumped to have Alyssa with me. All right, all right. Well, Helissa, how are you doing? I am so good. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm just super excited. I've been looking forward to this. It's been a long time since we've connected, so I just really appreciate it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped to have you too, because I, I remember... Um, you know, you, you're going to tell your story so people are get more used to like what you do. But I remember uh, visiting your shop, I think it was like six years ago. And um, I, I actually have a picture. So I'm going to include the picture in the video. Um, and I just, I, my good friend, Peter invited me. He's like, Hey, we're going to meet at Apotheca. And, and I walked in, the first thing I saw was this like tr- literally like tree branches on the ceiling. And I was like, this place is awesome. This place is amazing. And then um, a couple of years after that, we collaborated on an amazing uh, weekend um, getaway webinar, uh, not even a webinar. It was like a inclusive workshop around, um, you know, people following their passion. And, uh, and that was an awesome experience. And then I've, I've always like checked out all the stuff that you guys do and you guys have built such an amazing community around the work that you guys do. And uh, I'm super pumped to have you here with me today. And uh, for my opening, um, I always have like a cheesy opening, but I'm curious to know, like, what are you listening to? Like what, what in terms of music or sound, like what, what, what are you listening to lately? Oh man, I, I listen to, especially right now, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and I've been listening to just a lot of female leaders from the black community, just talking about everything that's going on. So honestly, I, I mean, I do love music. I love Brandy Carlisle and Alt-J and, you know, I listen to music. Um, but right now I've just been in a place of just learning and I'm always learning, but right now it's definitely shifted towards trying to understand more about just like black women's perspectives in particular, because um, I was listening to one of your things this morning and New Hampshire is such a white state. And uh, you know, so that's, I I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for. Oh, no, 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 that's no problem. I mean, I'm I'm meeting you where you are, right? Like what you're consuming. And that's That's very fascinating that you've decided to dig deeper, right. In order Mm -hmm. to expand your, your knowledge around different perspective. I'm curious to know anything that's come up in, in some of those readings or some of those podcasts that have kind of triggered you has gotten you thinking. Yeah, definitely. So I've always really resisted, you know, when people say all lives matter. So um, that's always really bothered me, including even some of my own family members. So I really wanted to understand how to speak better against that, because I I know that's something that has never sat right with me. Um, So that's something that I really kind of dove into understanding so I could be more articulate, you know, talking to people about that. And then also just understanding why so many African-American or black women are saying, you don't expect me to educate you, you know, educate yourself. If you want questions about my personal story, I'm happy to share that, but don't come to me just expecting me to explain to you what's going on. Um, So that's also something that I really wanted to step into understanding. Wow. That's that's super interesting. And, and, and by the way, for listeners, like this is not what I, 
you know, we don't plan this. A lot of my conversation is just authentic raw from the scratch. So this is where Alyssa is right now. And, um, it's awesome to hear that you're, you're, you're diving in a little deeper in terms of better understanding the perspective of others. I'm curious to know from like, how do you describe yourself? Like, I, I know you have like, you're involved with so many different things and, and I'm curious to know for yourself personally, when you reflect on who you are, like, how, how do you describe yourself? Who are you? So I, I mean, I'm an artist and I feel like I'm a people loving artist. I feel like I'm here on planet earth to um, create connection and joy through beauty. So that's, you know, when, when people step into Apotheca, I want them to feel embraced by that. You know, that's a huge part of the space and what, what motivates us. And the same, you know, in my life, like I, I think beauty matters. I think art matters, music, you know, all, all of that. Uh, I think that that speaks on levels that surpass words in many ways. You know, it connects us in just really powerful ways. So I feel like that's why I'm here. And that's kind of, that's who I am. For sure. We're definitely going to talk about Apotheca, but you, you said you're, you're, you are an artist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, um, What, what, what form of art do you create? I'm I'm curious. So I I am a florist, so I do floral art, but really even before flowers came into my life in the way that they are with Apotheca right now, I, uh, I've always been a multimedia artist. So I do a lot of like collage and painting on wood and wood burning and kind of gouging, you know, just, I love layers and textures Um, so that's what I love to do just in my kind of selfish time when it's just me doing something for me, it's just painting and layering and texturizing things. That's really cool. Um, in, in a lot of the conversations that I have, I always, I'm, I'm, I'm always super intrigued by, you know, people's drivers, right? Like their inner driver, like, so like what draw, what drives people to do certain things? When did you like tapped into your creativity like I'm curious you know like was it when you were younger or a little bit when later on in your life I'm curious when did you tap in into your creative side I, it was completely in childhood and I feel like there's so much truth for us in childhood and I have this very vivid memory I was always like outside um, playing in the woods and I remember this day in particular where I found a piece of bark and I grew up in Alaska so middle of nowhere very small town 120 people grocery store was four hours away. So we didn't go to stores unless it was like a big grocery run. Uh, so a lot of my play just came from what I was surrounded by. Going to the dump was like a fun thing because wow. we, <laughs> we would find things. And it's funny because even that like plays into our lives. Now I love finding objects that no one has a use for and creating something beautiful out of it and giving it like new life. So I have this vivid memory, playing in the woods as a kid, finding a piece of bark that I thought looked like a mermaid's tail, brought it back into this like basement of our log cabin and making like a bodice of a mermaid and using blue yarn for hair. And I said to myself, I want to be an artist. Like it was just this clear, I don't even know how I knew what an artist was. Wow, that's that's incredible. But I wanted to be an artist. And and how old were you during that time? I was probably seven. We left Alaska when I was 10. Okay. So I was, I was probably like seven and we had like an outhouse, no electricity, propane. Uh, so it was like super primitive, you know, very weird, you know, by a lot of standards, just a, a really different way of living. But I really appreciate, you know, that beginning. So. Wow. That's really fascinating. And I think, you know, every artist have that moment in their life or time where something has occurred that kind of, drive you know their passion or their their um curiosity and um and then it depends you know sometimes some artists are 
not even aware of that was the time that kind of ignited, you know, because most some artists are very present in what they're doing now. Uh, but thank you for sharing that. And then how did you foster that? Like from seven years on, like, how did you foster like that, that discovery that you love engaging in creation at that level? How did you foster that over time? I mean, I really think because we lived the way that we lived, which was really disconnected in a lot of ways. So it just left so much time for creating, you know, building a fort in the woods. And, you know, I had a dollhouse that I made out of cardboard and made little bits of fruit. So it was always about finding something and turning it into something else. And I think it came from lack of things that, you know, that's what sort of bred my creative process. And I didn't see it as a bad thing. I didn't know anything else, but that just really invited me to be super inventive and to solve problems in different ways. To me, if I wanted something, you know, then I would figure out, you know, what am I surrounded by and what can I use to create it? Um, so, and I think that's just continued on, you know, I've always been like a thrifter and, you know, finding things for free on the side of the road. And, you know, that's how, and I'm sorry, I keep going back to Apotheca, but that's, I didn't start Apotheca with money. So it was literally, what can I find? How can I transform it and make it into something useful? No, that's really cool. That's really awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, 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 we, my next question will be on Apotheca, but I want, I just, I just do, I want to stay on this, like this evolution as an artist, you right. As you're creating and you're growing and you're, um, you know, I'm curious to know early on, if you can describe like the feelings and the emotion, or even just the connection that you had when you were engaging in that creation process, like if you can describe it, what was that like? Cause I feel like a lot of folks that, um, that are not really in the creative space or tap into it to a certain level, um, might not really have a sense of what that process is for those who create on a consistent basis. But I am curious from your standpoint early on, like, what was it like? Like, how did they, how did it feel for you? What was it for you? It really, I think it's about transformation. Like even, you know, tapping into that moment with the mermaid, you know, at seven years old, that feel, I mean, it was, it was like literal joy and uh, over the transformation and the expression, how I could create something out of nothing. Uh, and there's definitely the flow you get lost in the, the flow of creating where you're tapping into something that doesn't even necessarily come from you. You, you follow a, a cue or a driver and then you see where that takes you. And then you, it's a journey because you all inevitably, no matter what you're working on in a creative process, you hit a wall where you suddenly hate whatever it is you're working on. Mm. And at that point of pushing through that you go back to flow and then you, you experience that the joy of bringing something to life. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that, that's, yeah. that's really cool. And, and, and I think, I think you, you mentioned this, you know, this thing of when you reach that wall, you know, as a creator, sometimes it's, you know, it depends how you want to shoot back in. And there's so many other influences that's influencing it. It might be something externally, or it might be something more internally that, that, that has caused you to, you know, to create that stuff. How did you evolve as a, as an artist from, being young and, you know, going into your, um, you know, later on, how did you continue to evolve as a, as a creator? So, I mean, this might get like a little heavy, but 
so I got married really young. So when my parents left Alaska, they moved to Minnesota. And uh, I don't know if this is what you're looking for. So I'm sorry. Oh, no, this is this is you. This is you. Okay. Okay. So we moved to Minnesota. And I think my parents were so kind of desperate to find that community that they connected to. And the community that was comfortable for them was a simple community that just, Mm. it was about, you know, gathering, enjoying one another, um, living off the land, like literally, you know, gardens and hunting and um, just, it was just really different. So when they moved to Minnesota, I think they really struggled to find a community that they connected with. They ended up connecting with a very conservative, we were raised Christian, but they ended up connecting with a very conservative Christian homeschooling community. I, I still consider myself a Christian, but there's this period of time where it became very uh, kind of legalistic. I mean, we, they went to a church for a while where women had to wear dresses. They weren't really allowed to speak. People would be kind of chastised for reading out of the, the King James, the new King, you know, there's just a lot of rules. Um, so I kind of fell into feeling like my role or expectation from my family was to be a supportive wife. And it wasn't so much about uh, who I was or what I wanted to nurture with myself. Mm. So I found ways to create and explore my inner artist, but it was it, because I got married young, it, it always had to fit around what I felt my role was. Um, so I ended up really struggling for, for my identity to have a voice because mm. it felt so secondary. And it felt like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't what my parent or my mom in particular, it wasn't necessarily what she wanted for me. And I don't even know if it came from her. It came from the community that they connected with because of their own search for something that felt, felt right. Um, and, and in alignment with some of their values. So I ended up getting a divorce, um, because the struggle just, you know, there was, I just wasn't able to find a way as I got older, I wasn't able to find a way to, to have my voice matter and to, to be able to grow into who I wanted to become. And that was pretty traumatic just because, you know, I felt that I was really disappointing so many people that were close to me, but it was the only way that I knew how to kind of save the parts of myself that I knew needed to grow and to become who I felt like oh, I wanted to become. And, and part of that voice was, was your creative being mm-hmm. during that season also compromised. Right. And, um, and, and, and I'm curious to know, was, was it part of that finding your voice again? Did that reconnect you to your creative side and your, your ability to be able to express yourself? And yeah. So I was always finding ways to create, uh, but it was, it was secondary because it wasn't, you know, and uh, definitely I actually started again, Apotheca. I started Apotheca as a way to support myself. So when we were getting a divorce, I was like, what am I going to do? Uh, so I would say that my creativity became like the main driver in trying to figure out, you know, it was very much uh, just I had to make it work. I didn't have a safety net or a second option. So I think I had to really trust my own creativity and problem solving and inner voice and self and God to, re- to really kind of guide me through um, figuring all that out. So that's when I, I went to at 27. So it was kind of this 19 to 27. That journey happened in those years where it was a struggle of figuring out like, who am I as a creative being and how do I fit into my life? Which is, it sounds really strange, but that's just sort of, you know, where I was. 
Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. There, there's so much to unpack there. Um, and I know you've, you've mentioned Apotheca so many, so many different times within this conversation. Um, and, and let's talk about it. Like what, what is Apotheca and how did it start? Like what's the genesis of it? So because I feel, I'm, I feel so strongly about connection and community and feeling that art and beauty just play, they really play into that. Uh, Apotheca, I always wanted it to be a coffee shop with an art gallery. And it's really interesting to think that flowers were just a, like, just kind of an uh, accent to my business plan. They weren't mm-hmm. even, it wasn't even in the focus. But I, uh, so it was really, I wanted to open a coffee shop with an art gallery where people could gather and connect and just like just share thoughts over a cup of coffee like I just I feel like that's such a powerful thing and then to be able to be surrounded by you know art and beauty I just I I saw it as uh like a quest for Eden here on planet earth like how could I create a little oasis where people step into it and they feel valued and appreciated and inspired so that sorry to cut you off I I I just want to stay there for a second was that oasis that you wanted to create was it more for you because you because you needed that or was it really more for the environment that you were in where you felt like this environment needed that i think it was just i wanted my life to have an impact greater than myself so it, it it's always i've always had this desire to make an impact on others in a positive way so you know the whole um, you know when you I, i'm going to butcher it but basically it's when you connect with someone, how do you leave them feeling better mm. cross paths with you? So even if I'm an introvert, so even if it wasn't with me, I wanted them to come into a space and almost feel like they were being hugged by it or to leave an object and feel uh, that they were leaving with something special that might impact their day and put it in a more positive tra- trajectory. Uh, so it really wasn't just about creating an oasis for myself. It was about how do I create something larger than myself that can positively impact my community. How long was that a, a burning desire before it became reality? Years. Like for years, I, I thought about wanting a coffee shop, an art gallery. Uh, then finally, I wrote the business plan, uh, which again, looked very different than what Apotheca is because it, it was, didn't really involve flowers and flowers became the forefront. But it was probably, I'd say, three or four years of me just trying to think about what I wanted to do, sort of researching. And then when I, when I was getting a divorce, that became the, okay, do I go back to school or do I just pour myself into this and make it work? And I decided that with a business, I could have my kids with me and we could, you know, there were nights that we would set up, I'd set up a tent and they'd just sleep in the tent while I worked on things. And so it became a way that I, I could be a mom and still create a business that felt like I was able to fulfill something that felt like a mission to me. Oh. And where did that resourcefulness comes from? Because a lot of artists are always in this intersection between their dreams and their hope. And like, you know, the, the gap is the resource, right? At times, some artists might have a little bit more backing in order to drive whatever they want to do. And then some artists might not have that, you know, that infrastructure to to be able to have that resource that's going to help them push forward. And for you, it sounds like you have to be resourceful in how you tackle it in order to, to start it, you know, in order to start that growth. 
Yeah. I mean, I really think it's because I didn't have an option. You know, it's sometimes when you, you know, you cut, you cut the safety net or you step away from the safety net, it forces you to do nothing but look forward and figure out, you know, what's my next step? What's my next step? What's my next step? So it wasn't, you know, a hobby. It wasn't something I wanted to explore and have fun with. This was, this was it. You know, and I remember in the beginning, people saying, so are you excited? And I was like, not really. <laughs> like, I'm just a little terrified, but I know that I need to make this work. So, and, and speaking of people, how, how did you, you know, what kind of reinforcement that did you, you know, did you have in order to bring this to life? And the reason why I asked that is because, you know, sometimes people need validation. People need allies in order to bring their dreams and their vision to life. And then uh, for some, for some people, like, it's like your idea, it's so out of, out of this world that you literally have to be the one carrying it before everyone else, you know, come to reality, like, oh, this is something. So I'm curious to know from you, like in, in that stepping in faith and wanting to actually pursue it and design it and bring it to life, did you have to rely so much on, you know, others that were around you that you trusted family members, friends to kind of give you that oomph? Or did you have to rely more on your internal driver to be like, hey, this is something that I, I've, been, I've been contemplating, um, you know, bringing to life for so long and I'm just going to go and make it happen? In the beginning, it was definitely, I felt like an island. I had just disappointed my entire church circle, family circle. You know, I'd gotten a divorce. Uh, I had, I was in a, a class, a graphic design class. I had a teacher say, you want to open what in Gosstown? Have you been there? Like, there's no way that's going to work. Mm. And then I had a family member say, I want to talk her out of it, but all I can do is sit back and watch her fall on her face. So I, in the beginning, I felt like I didn't have support. But then as I just became super, like they saw that I was going to do this. Then, you know, I had my brother, Josh, let me use his credit card because I didn't have any money. So I was able to buy some product before Christmas. Uh, my, my parents started really helping me with the kids. My mom agreed to do the books. So it was definitely really, really difficult there in the very beginning. And I felt like I needed to rely on my, my vision and what I believed in. But then as I kept showing up, I had, you know, family and friends sort of come back. You know, I think it was, it wasn't because they didn't love me or want to help me. They were just afraid for me. Mm. They were like, like, what the heck is she doing? <laughs> and then when they saw that, you know, how serious I was, then I, I think they started just saying like, okay, what can we do? Like, how can we help? She's doing this. So, so how can we help? And then I, for, for many years, maybe three years, I had my parents really involved with the kids. And uh, my mom has always done the books, but then they moved from New Hampshire back to Minnesota. So I felt really, you know, like, wow, like here I am pretty alone right now in this. And that, you know, started a different evolution of growth. But yeah, so it was in the beginning, I felt like it was me. But before long, I, I definitely had some really great support. I have, I have two questions, but I'm um, debating which one I should ask first. Um, I guess let's go with the location. Um, so for my listeners who are not familiar with kind of, you know, the town that you decided to start the business in, like, let's talk about this town real quick. And why was it, why did you choose to start Apotheca there? Because I lived there and uh, I live here. I'm in Goffstown right now, but 
I think the reason why I moved here initially, I just fell in love with it. Like it's got this cute little village and we have these young community mountains kind of looking over the village. And just, I had pizza and Vicksters the first time we visited. And I was like, this is just it. Like this, this town feels right. And then years later, I learned that Gosstown was actually a destination for a lot of people coming up from Massachusetts because there were hotels built on Uncanoonic Mountain. So people would come up here because going up to the White Mountains wasn't as feasible and they would just stay in a hotel and ski. So I, I often wonder if there was like this residual energy and Gosstown is just waiting to kind of become that destination again. Wow, that's that's really interesting. So one was the fact that you lived there. Two is because you you kind of fell in love with the space and you wanted to to create something there. Mm-hmm. And and just so you know, a lot of times when you know when I talk to people that live in Gosta, when I first meet them, I'm like, I always say, Do you know about the guy? Because <laughs> it's like it's like this centralized. It's like it's become this like centralized location for so many people that live in that community. Um, my my follow up question is when you were talking about, you know, kind of getting into the business hat, right. Of like creating this, mapping it out. You had your mom as your, your bookkeeper early on. Did you ever struggle with, you know, the, the, the two role that you had to play as a creator, but also as a business person? Cause, cause the business aspect is very different than the interaction of creating um, you know, where you're actually creating the actual pieces or whatever it is. Or, um, so I'm curious to know from your standpoint, um, how did you kind of juggle that early on? So I, so another piece to like the childhood story that comes full circle, my parents owned, we lived in this tiny town called Cantwell, not too far from Denali National Park and they owned a lodge. Oh, okay. So I grew up watching them kind of run a business and that first decade of life. So you saw the hustle. Earlier. So I saw the hustle, but even more importantly, I think I saw the community and that mm-hmm. was so, I just loved that so much. Uh, my dad had started this thing called the Cantwell Spring Rendezvous because people literally get cabin fever in Alaska. They just get sick of the cold and people would come to our town and it was kind of based from the cafe lodge and they would do really crazy things like barefoot races on the, the ice down the airstrip they do um, dog sled races, cross like just all sorts of winter sports. But it was just this everybody coming together uh, in this in the connection. But then, and then there was there was the business part, and a lot of the business was stressful because my dad was not a very good businessman. He was a good community man, but he would just give things away. And uh, so, I, but I always loved the business part as well as as art and and the mission and the community. But I think the hardest thing for me was understanding how to be a good leader mm. so as I started creating a team. And that, I think, will be a forever process. You know, as soon as you hire employees, you're, you're stepping into a leadership role and you have an obligation to become a, become a better leader. And I have, like, had massive fails that have, you know, prompted me to learn and to grow and to understand, you know, what my team needs from me. There's a period of time where my mom said, you know, Alyssa... Apotheca is not a hospital, you know, stop hiring people that need help. So that was a big learning thing for me that I needed to hire based on what my business needed because my responsibility was to be a good business owner and to be a good leader for my team. So just hiring someone that needed help that maybe didn't have the skills, the qualifications or the character that was an asset to Apotheca, you know, that was, that was a big lesson. 
so I enjoyed, but it is two separate things. Like those, those two hats, like there's the creating thing that I do better when I'm alone. So that was another hurdle. How do I run a creative business when I like to create on my own, but I have to share information with my team. So understanding how to do processes and mm. how to communicate a process that feels so personal to me. Like, you know, I had to learn how and still I'm, I'm learning, you know, how to do that better. Yeah, that's a, thank you for, for elaborating a little bit more with that, because, you know, for, for many creators that, you know, there's a ton of creators out there every day when they're sitting at their nine to five, they're like, man, only if I wish I was, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot, I have this conversation all the time with people and they're like, man, man, man. And I'm, and, and I always, you know, gently, you know, ask them, you also have to think about the business side. So what's, what's preventing you from jumping in on the business side is, is your, is what you're creating, um, you know, attractive enough for people to want to, um, to pay you for it or the services of it. And if they are, what's the value of that and how can you scale it? And, and, and can you sustain yourself on your own? Do you need other folks to come alongside you? And the business stuff is, is the daunting side of, 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 of that leap of faith process. Cause most people are, they don't want to deal with that. They don't want to deal with what being an entrepreneur comes with, you know? And I think um, there's a balance. There's a, there's a big balance, you know, especially if you have limited resources to want to pursue that particular thing at, at full out. So from, from your, from your experience, you had a lot of demonstration throughout the experiences that you had with your parents owning their own business and seeing that. So by the time you were ready to create, it sounds like, you're somewhat already equipped to at least understand what that process was going to be. Um, I'm curious from your standpoint, like, so then you create this thing, right? So you have this thing, Apotheca. How did you, like, how did people know about it? Like, and, and, and what made people want to come in there? Like, you know, it's one thing having a space, creating something, but the attraction and the engagement that people have around the thing that you've created is a completely different thing. Like regardless of how great your intentions are in, in, in what you want to accomplish. So I'm curious from, to, to get your feedback, like what was it like early on? How did you build a community? I, I mean, I really think so early on I had my mission um, and I had our core values. Like, so that was just like the purpose of the space was set. And that's that Apotheca is a space committed to inspiration, to never underestimating the power of kindness and to seeing and sharing the tiny bits of life that matter most. So, you know, that's kind of our, our guiding light. So we want, it's about relationships, you know, taking that time to connect with people. And, you know, and that we can talk about that, you know, how that looked with COVID and continues to look with COVID because that's been an evolution. And then our values are acknowledge, uplift, inspire. And a new one that I just added that has to do with money is impact. Because in order to make the impact in the lives of my family, my, my employees and my community, we have to make money and be profitable. So that's, that was sort of a new addition for me. But I think it's just, it's always, the focus has always been on our customers and our community and you know, how can we positively impact one person at a time? And it's been, you know, 15 years of that. So I think it, it was, it's been a slow build. Like it d- definitely didn't happen right away. And I probably could have done things more intentionally to, to make the, it faster. 
but I was also really, uh, I felt like everything needed to be super authentic. Like I wanted people to come to us because they, you know, they, they discovered us because they needed to. And I think that now giving advice to people, I would say, you know, be seen, you know, you know, get out there, do what you can. Don't just wait for someone to stumble across you, you know, make more connections, um, networking. Again, I mentioned I was, I'm an introvert. So doing those networking things were difficult for me and tended to be something I avoided. And I think that could have helped things develop faster. So you're saying early on, you weren't as visible in terms of like holding people in. Right. So, so what attracted people to, to go to it? I think it was, I think it was just our earnest commitment to the, to community and to connection. And then it did have this natural ripple. And, and what, and what is that? I'm just, I'm trying to like figure out the tangibility of it, yeah. right? Like, so, yeah. So our values acknowledge, uplift, inspire, impact. So literally when someone comes in the door, we want them to know that they matter and that we're grateful that they took the time to come into our space. When they walked into the space, the, the, the environment that you created, so the, the actual, you know, like what came out of people's mouth that, that worked for you or represented Apotheca is, is what made those vision and goals succumb to reality. And the hope was that when people en- engage and have those experiences, that, it, that they feel more connected, they feel more uplifted to want to come back. Yeah, because hopefully there's a genuine relationship that's getting started there. Even if it's just through them buying, you know, flowers or us delivering something and they see that we've done it with care and consideration. Uh, And I think flowers themselves, they're such a conduit for emotion and connection. It's Mm -hmm. a really, they're powerful. So I think just the fact that, sorry, loud car, just just the fact that people are trusting us with these messages you know, we've, we've had, there's some stories that it was, there's this one guy that would come in once a year. And at this time I was smaller. It was me that was always helping everyone. So I knew everyone. He would come in once a year and order a red rose and he would pay the delivery fee to have a single red rose delivered to someone's doorstep. Finally, I asked him, you know, what, what it was for. And he said that years ago he had fallen in love, uh, but did made him like messed up and lost the love of his life and she married someone else, but he wanted her to know that he's never forgotten her and that he cares about her. Wow. So like we're part of that message. And we've also had, you know, I've had customers where I have a relationship with them because they've lost a loved one. And we have poured as much love as we can into flowers for that funeral because we, you know, it's, it's, it matters. So I think those are the things that's not even just, I think it's because of flowers that, that that's given us an added layer of connection. And honestly, I didn't anticipate that. I didn't know. So I think that's the other thing with business is you can plan, you can have a vision, but you have to hold it loosely and let it evolve into its own kind of living thing. You can't hold it so tightly. And another thing I was going to mention, like I, I also on purpose didn't just choose to, I have my personal work, like I have my artwork, but I, I didn't, make a business around my artwork. I tried that for a while. I had a gift line, but I made the choice to have a business that utilized my creativity and my strengths. But on purpose, it wasn't my personal creating. creating. Got you, got you. Because I think there's that intersection of what do you love? You know, what are you good at? And what do people need? And I, I knew that I could scale a flower shop or coffee shop and gift shop. And it wouldn't necessarily need, it wouldn't rely solely on my 
the deep parts of myself that love to create. It would utilize my creativity, but it wouldn't require a constant outpouring of the deepest mm-hmm. parts of myself. So I think that. Wow, that that's, that's very fascinating. That is very fascinating because I, you know, a, a lot of creators, that's something that they struggle with is because when they get to a point where, um, they, st- they need to scale their services or scale, you know, the products that they create, the piece of realizing that their own personal connection or an emotion around what they're building has to change or have to be minimized to a certain extent because the business is calling for whatever that thing is that need to produce it. I think a lot of people have a very hard time distinguishing that because they've connected so much with with how they started off and what they want to create. Mm -hmm. And they forget about, you know, the, the consumer's perspective, right. They, they forget about the community perspective. Um, and, and the community perspective is sometimes what actually drives the business because you're providing a service that, that people are connected to, but what they're connected to is personal to them. You know, and it might not even align with what you want and how you see it. So it's like, yeah, it's it's such a fascinating thing because a lot of people struggle with that. People really struggle with that. And I think um, I think it's interesting that you you realize that, you know, at some point as you were scaling your business, you know, that you could you couldn't. And plus, it's probably not scalable for you to pour out your heart at 100 percent at every engagement or at every customer. I mean, there's only one of you. Um, but that's so fascinating. We can probably have a whole, um, podcast just around that. I'm curious to, um, to talk a little bit about, you mentioned earlier that the the flower services kind of morphed and, you know, grew on its own, that it wasn't like your, your initial focus. When did you, when did that happen? And what made you feel comfortable to trust and say, you know what, like, this is where I need to devote my intention. So I, there was actually a flower shop in the original apothecary space. Oh, so I, okay. I essentially moved into that flower shop and for, you know, very, I didn't, again, I didn't have a lot of money. So for very little money, I was able to purchase the contents. Gotcha. So there was already, and I, because I wanted flowers to be a part of it, because I think flowers represent the beauty of life. You know, it's something that, that you need to cherish because it's fleeting, you know, it's, it's precious for the day. You know, so I think there's just a lot of symbology around flowers and what they represent. Uh, so the flowers were already happening. So that, that part had a louder voice that surpassed what was reflected in my business plan, you know, right away. And just circling back to you saying, are you asking about the support? I think it's really important that I mention. You know, a couple of things. I feel like in, in the growth of Apotheca, it involved me making being uncomfortable. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this, I've only done two podcasts. So this, <laughs> this makes me nervous. And you're doing an awesome job, by the way, in this podcast so far. <laughs> Thank you. So I think it's just being willing to be uncomfortable. And one of the first things that I did, because I didn't feel that I had support, it was super important to me that for whatever reason, my landlord understood what I was doing. Because mm. I felt like he had no reason to trust me. There's this person he barely knows who wants to you know, promise to pay rent, who has no money. And I, I, I think it was my way of saying like, hey, I have a plan. I don't have anything else, but I have a plan. Will you please read my business plan? And this is Larry Brown. Mm. And I remember the look he gave me. He was just so confused. <laughs> he agreed to read it. 
And he's like, you know, sounds good. You know, Larry's very like, you know, he's not a super emotional guy. He's just like, yep, sounds good. Well, fast forward a couple years later, he and his wife, Sandy, approached me and said, hey, Alyssa, we remember that you wanted a coffee shop from when we read your business plan. We're moving out of the train depot and we think it would be a great spot for the rest of your vision. Wow. Had I not followed my gut and had them read my business plan, as uncomfortable as it made me, they wouldn't have known that that was something I wanted to do. And they would have rented that out to someone else. That's humility right there. That's, I mean, that's humility. I mean, you had to put yourself out there, you know, in such a humiliate, like not a humiliating way in a negative way, but it's, but it it is. And I think that's, that's the piece of like being on, being an entrepreneur and starting something that people are also afraid of. It's like, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to put myself out there because I, I, I'm going to expose the areas that I might have weaknesses in. And then at the end of the day, people end up caving in like, you know what, then I'm not ready then. But that humility is like, is, is such a, uh, one of the most organic thing and authentic thing that we can do as human because it meets us where we are. And then it allows the folks that are outside you know, to be able to see who we are on, on its true sense of, you know, what makes us. And it, and it also brings the pressure down. Like I've realized like anytime I've had a very humiliating experience, um, it just level sets me. And, 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 and lately, like I'm more, you know, I am more transparent around making that more visible because I feel like if, if you know where I am, you know, internally, like, then there's nothing else that I can hide. You know, I'm just, I'm letting you know, you know, and, and, and to hear you say that, like, you know, it, and that impacted Larry. And I, I'm, I'm sure as he was watching the progress that you guys were making early on, you know, he started to see that what, what was growing, right. That it wasn't just benefiting you, but it was benefiting this community. And, um, and it had to be some sort of a trigger within him over the, over the time to be like, you know what, like, let's take that next leap of faith. We, the first leap of faith was renting, the, you know, the, the, the flower portion to her. Let's take that leap of faith and say, hey, we're going to extend where we want you to extend on the other side. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure it came from that humility that you were able to present early on. That's, that's really cool. Thank you yeah, so much for sharing that. I, I just, I will be so appreciative. I'm always so grateful to them. And we, we send flowers every Thanksgiving just, you know, because you, you can't do, you can't do it alone. You know, even if you start out as an Island, like you have to like kicky go out because you're never really an Island. So I, I'm just so grateful to him and to so many other people, our customers that have supported us. Um, but yeah, that, that discomfort, like it just, you, you have to let it in. Cause the other piece, you're not going to, I'm a people pleaser. And that's another thing I need to, I'm always going to work on for the rest of my life, but you're never going to make everybody happy. There are going to be people that just don't like you for whatever reason that you can't control. So I think letting that go and letting your mission be become larger than people pleasing or, um, and honestly, I think when I did go through the divorce and feeling like I disappointed everyone in my life that that was a major like okay like I need to be I need to be true to myself and uh and that was sort of a training period for showing up and and being true to myself and but it's still a challenge I think you you always have to make that decision to be uncomfortable because we, we always want to protect ourselves but when you when you can know that you're showing up for something that's larger than yourself that can 
impact, have a greater impact if you're willing to be uncomfortable, then it frees you. It kind of releases you and lets you step into that. Uh, but I don't know if it ever becomes easy. I don't know. Have you found, like, would you say it's easy or do you still, is it still a choice that you have? To I, make? So for me, it's like, I, I've, I'm intentional around like things that makes me whole, even if they're uncomfortable. Like once I see what it does to me internally, like I gravitate towards it, even though it's, it, even though it might be tough, it might be uncomfortable, but the reward of what, how it fulfills me is what drives me to be like, you know, I'm, I have to do that. Like I have to open up that way, or I have to take that leap of faith because I know that I've had a lot of proof of concept of the reward of, you know, being vulnerable in that way and what it's done for me and how it's helped me kind of move forward and take, kind of take away the unnecessary pressure that that's what I gravitate towards. And it's funny because like when I reflect on it, I'm always like, like this side of Dale would rather do it this way. But this side of Dale knows the importance of why it's important to go this way. So like, I have to have that like internal reflection um, around, you know, what it is. And, 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 and then I literally, like, sometimes I, t- I, I have to like tell myself, I'm like, man, like it, w- it would be so much easier if you did it this way, but you know that this is what you got to do. And then one, once I'm in the uncomfortableness, like the pain of being in that, in, in, in that process, like I just eat it up because like, I know that the pain or the discomfort is actually going to lead me to take that next step. And, and that's why for me, it's more of an internal thing than an external thing. Like, and and that's what drives a lot of my, my behavior, my action. Um, because at the end of the day, it's like happening within me. Um, but yeah, it's not, it it definitely, it's not easy, but once you like actualize, you know, the benefit of, what it means to go through that process, then taking ownership of it makes it a lot easier to commit to it. Like a good example is like if from an external standpoint, like I've been running in the morning within the last month and a half. I hate running outside. I completely like detest it. Like when I go to the gym, I, I hit the treadmill, but, but the gym wasn't, it's not a reality during this time. So um, I had to come up with another way to get that cardio. So I decided that every morning, um, at least five days a week, I have to be out there to do the run. And I completely, completely hate it. Like I detest it to the fullest. But the energy that I get from going out there and doing that run, the time that I get to have that self-reflection and have music in my ear and have, you know, the, the fresh air that's outside hitting me, that, that is the ultimate. That is, that is the ultimate to me. So then I gravitate towards that. Like I literally every morning, even this morning, I woke up, I saw that it was a little glooming outside already. All my gremlins, my internal gremlins was like, man, you know, you end this week, you're good. Take a break today. Just go do some stretching, you know. And I'm sitting, I'm like, no, like there's no excuse for me to not run this morning. Mm -hmm. And I know what it does to me. So I'm like, 
I, I got to go out there. So even when I was going downstairs, I'm dragging my feet, grabbing my headphones, putting my, my sneakers on the whole entire time. Like that half of me, it's like, bro, like you can just like not do this right now. Mm-hmm. And then once I put my, 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 my sneakers on, I did a little stretch. I started hitting it right away. I just, I just took it and I actualized it. I was like, let's go, let, let's go. And then I'm also like, a lot of my drivers are also visualizing kind of the next milestone. Mm-hmm. So when I'm running, like I'm thinking already like three blocks down, like I literally visualize what three blocks down looks like. And then I'm like, all right, I'm there. And then once I get there, I'm visualizing the other one, you know what I mean? And then I'm also playing out like who benefits from me having a, you know, a healthy life. You know, I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking of, so throughout the struggle, I'm, I'm literally combating all that negative feelings or just what's pulling me away from actually wanting to do the thing. And once I, you know, take hold of, you know, the goal and what I need to do, then I'm just like, I got this. So I've had that proof of concept within the last month and a half of running consistently. So now I even have that as a backbone. So when, when those, you know, emotions plays out, I'm like, bro, come on, you got this. So, so that, so that's like, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing. It's really, really fascinating. And, um, and that flows into all the other stuff that I'm involved with. I'm constantly, you know, I have to pause, reflect, and then say, okay, what is this for? What's the meaning of this? You know, if I engage this way, or if I say this way, or if I create this way, like, what does it mean for me? And I'm, am I willing to also take the consequence? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is that as I'm making decisions, I have to reflect on the consequences mm-hmm. on both ends. If it's negative, if there's a bad repercussion of my behavior, am I willing to deal with it? If there's a positive, you know, repercussion, am I willing to deal with it? Once I actualize the repercussion, then I'm in my lane. Like, I, I'm just like, if I have allies, rock with me. Mm-hmm. If I don't have allies, it's, there's a deeper enough drive to, to engage with that experience. Let's go. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so, it, you know, it's, it's very, very, and I think it's empowering too, because we're, we're, we're human being. Like, we're all created so uniquely. We have our own driver. We have, you know, our, our internal there's no one else like you out there, Alyssa, you know, like even if you had a twin sister, like identical, like there's like what happens internally, it's completely different. So it's like, but, but we are created in this space to kind of autopilot our behaviors and we allow the external world to influence us so much that we forget about who we are as being. And then all the other expectations is what ends up driving us. And then at the end of the day, as we reflect on ourselves, and we're like, oh, snap, like I haven't really done anything for myself or I'm not really doing anything that represents me. So, so those are the stuff that like I, I, I try so hard to reflect on on a daily basis. But then the stuff that I engage with, I constantly try to reflect on. But so, so it brings us to, to towards our end of our, our, our podcast here. And my question is the last two months, two and a half months, the world has flipped upside down. You spent a very long time building this amazing ecosystem 
that there's so many different branches coming out of it that has made such an amazing impact to the community and the folks that you've worked with. It's made an impact to your employees. It's made an impact to you and your family. And then the world decides to flip upside down. How have you found your grounding as, as a business owner, as a mother, as a, as, as, as a creator within the last two months, two and a half months? So I love your whole running analogy. Like I, I, I feel like I've never been a runner and it, this really, I started running. So oh, wow. probably, and I've always hated running. So I now call myself a reformed runner hater, but I, I felt like I had to for all the reasons you just described, because I needed to ground myself. You know, I've always, you know, I pray throughout the day, like just as a normal, but I started like meditating and praying mm. because I felt like I was going to break if I didn't, become super intentional about grounding myself. I had to look at, you know, when this all started, I had to look at worst case scenario. Mm. So let's say our warehouse goes away. The storefront goes away. I'm doing flowers in my basement. That's okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, Ricky moves in, you know, we start a commune at the house. <laughs> <laughs> you had it all planned out. <laughs> and, you know, I had to go to worst case scenario and know right, that right. I would be okay no matter. And once you go there and you accept that, then you just show up and there's really nothing to lose. Mm. So we had to show up with our, our values. So I spent a lot of time thinking like, okay, why does Apothic exist? We, and how does Apothic exist? We exist to somehow try to embrace our community. And our community is anyone that comes into contact with us in any way. But if they can't come into our space, how do we do that? So we started thinking about ways that we could wrap packages with so much love and handwritten notes. And we started doing TikToks to just make people smile. And we started just figuring out um, how to you know, do curbside pickup, not just leaving it there for them to pick up, but being a smiling face that says hello and says thank you. So just being really intentional with all these, you know, what they seem like, and it doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. When we make mistakes, we go above and beyond to make it right. Mm. But just making sure that in a new way of doing business, we're still fulfilling our mission. It's just that that fulfillment looks different than it used to. Uh, but it was definitely, you know, we we did have to lay some people off. And that was like the hardest day to make those calls to, you know, to, to say, hey, here's here, here's where we're at. And thankfully, because of the PPP that finally came through, we were able to rehire some of them. But uh, we're never, I don't know that we will ever in our lifetime have an opportunity like we've had and are in the process of having to self-reflect and to say like, hey, what do you want your life to look like? Like you said, autopilot takes over and we're just showing up, fulfilling expectations that are from external places that might not be in alignment with who we are and who we want to be. And this has been, you know, the great like burn, you know, the, just where we're just all this stuff just came off whether we wanted it to or not. And I think my big, my big, um, I guess driver right now is making sure that when we do come back, whatever that's going to look like, we haven't reopened yet because I described, I gave this analogy earlier. I'm not a basketball player, but I described it as, you know, in in business, we are like, all right, wedding season's coming up. We're going to shoot a three-pointer. Like, all right, this is our, this is our go time. And then they're like, oh, nope, no three-point pointer. Do a layup. Three steps in, we're about to go up for a layup. And then they're like, no, you know, reopen, like go back Mm -hmm. on the three-pointer. There's no way we could pivot on a pivot without falling on our face. Right. 
So we've been having to just take it slow and we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. And um, there's a lot of pressure. And again, I, I love making people happy, but my ultimate goal and responsibility is to the health of the business and, you know, to my family, my employees, and, you know, it has to be longer lasting. It can't just be the quick, you know, let's do this now because it's what people want. Uh, so we did do a plant sale, which was awesome. We were able to say hello to people. We had it outside. You know, that's that great. great. Uh, we had so much support. Uh, but as far as, you know, I, I think it, it was, I'm sur- I have such a great team. And in the midst of all the changes, we discussed the worst case scenario. I told, you know, people knew they could file for unemployment if they wanted to. So the remaining people that I didn't lay off, right. and then they were just like, no, we're, we're in this. Like, we're going to, we're going to figure it out. We had a website up. It was totally different than our other website up in a very short period of time. Everybody was on board with the discomfort of changing everything. Our whole mm-hmm. business model flipped on its head. Uh, and I just feel so grateful to the team that I have and to our customers for being flexible. They still have found ways to support us. And I'm just so grateful for that. And, and what's keeping you grounded now? Or, or even, even as far as like, when, when you are in that discomfort moment, right? Time, you know, another thing comes up. Oh, you can't shoot the way that you were going to shoot at that moment. Like, what do you do to recalibrate yourself and, and find grounding? So it's still like the running and the meditation. And just like you described, you're looking, you're looking at what's ahead. So I used to work at this outdoor challenge camp in Colorado. And we would teach kids to ride mountain bikes. And we would tell them, you know, you don't look at where you don't want to go. You don't look at right where you are. You look at where you want to be. And your bike, trust your bike to get you there. And it's the same in life. You know, you can't be, you can't be hyper-focused on what might go wrong or you're going to invite that in. Yes, be aware of it. Make a plan. But your focus should be on where you're headed. And for us, our goals are totally different. You know, we've, we started shipping flowers. You know, we have a really big goal around... Uh, really leaning into shipping flowers nationwide. And that happened kind of accidentally where people were saying like, hey, can you send us this plant? Hey, I want to send flowers to my aunt in Illinois and there isn't a flower shop open. So through lots of trial and error, lots of mistakes, uh, shipping dead flowers, <laughs> you know, where it said it was next day and it took three days. Oh, you know, no. Kept figuring it out, figuring it out. And now we've got a really good process and we want to scale it. So uh, we don't know what's going to happen with weddings. So I need to protect my dates for our current clients that had to move from 2020 to 2021. So it's not, I, I can't just sit back and be like, oh, well, we're just going to say, say bye to mm-hmm. revenue. My job as, a, as an entrepreneur is to, to figure out how to create new avenues for revenue to find us. So new pathways, money needs a map. So you know, how do we serve? How do we fill needs, fulfill our mission and make money? Um, so that's sort of, it's like looking ahead, making sure I'm taking care of myself and becoming a better leader every day. Uh, and then keeping my eyes on what the next steps are and what we need to do, you know, the, the big next goal, but also what is the next step to get closer to that goal. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so two last question. First one is where do you want, um, Apotheca to go? What's your vision for Apotheca? Like, so, so we do want to start shipping, you know, nationally. So that's, that's a really big piece as far as cash flow. But then as far as Apotheca, our space, I really want to to lean into uh, events and gatherings, just like the plant sale was kind of our, 
our intro into creating an event where we're still like an experience. Because when people come into Apotheca, we want it to not just be shopping. We want it to be an experience. We want them to be surrounded by displays and a space that's interactive. So, you know, how do we do that if our store isn't going to be open in the same way? And how do we do it safely? I think it's through those events. We also have a big warehouse that we call the Design House. And we have uh, Brian Mazur is a kombucha brewer. So we're, we're taking steps towards him being able to move in and start a kombucha brewery. That's awesome. Grand piano in the space. So we want to be able to hold like music events and just all sorts of creative things in this larger space where we could safely gather. Um, we have some artists that also rent the space from us. Artsy Madwoman is this amazing artist. She has her space. We just recently opened up to letting some people come in. So she has cool. this space set up. So it's it's still very much around community and creating and, and gathering. So whether it's in the back alley for you know for now, like we did with our plant sale, and then eventually in this design house space, uh, it's still it's still all around connecting through art and beauty. Um, and it, that, that will just look a little different than it has in the past. That's awesome. And then, so my, my podcast theme is persevere to excel. I have so many, I have different listeners that listen for whatever different reasons, but if someone who is an entrepreneur or a creator or, um, or, or just someone that's listening, that's going through a hard time and they're trying to figure out how to, how to move on and how to move forward. What would your 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 message be in in order for them to be able to persevere and and continue to excel? I think it it really comes down to not waiting to get it perfect, and at some point you need to trust yourself. Just make a decision and have your back. And as long as you're moving forward, you can you can you can change it up. Like you just, but you need to step into something and just commit, and then change as you go. And it's okay if you fall, it's okay if you fail. It's okay if you mess up that, but as long as you're moving forward, you're going to figure out what your next step is and your next step and your next step. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing is make a decision, have your back move forward. And um, it's gonna, it's going to be better than just kind of waiting and second guessing yourself. Wow. Thank you so much, Alyssa. We probably could have talk for another five hours and I hope for us to connect again and hopefully in the near future where it's like at one of your space. So my audience can actually see it visually what it's like. Um, I'm, I'm super appreciative for you to be able to join me on this um, call and for your, your, your honesty, your, your vulnerability and, and, and amazing, amazing, message around the journey that you've had. And um, so I thank you so much and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.